Well, good morning, and glad you're here with us. Um, I'll start by stating the obvious. I'm not with you this morning if you're in the building. And um, fact, I am in this dark basement um, because the Burns family has the COVID bug. So um, I'm, I'm recording this morning and sharing with you that way and um, appreciate prayers and those that have offered to help us. Um, everything was pretty mild, um, but, but, uh, but we are distancing and keeping our space right now. So, but we're glad, uh, I'm glad I can share with you this way. I'm glad we can, um, we can begin a new series this morning. We're beginning a series called From. The word from is an interesting word and around Christmas time, you know, we may see it a lot. Uh, I'm thinking about the little tags that appear on our presents that say to so-and-so from so-and-so. If you're like me, maybe you grew up with parents who dropped Santa's name on that from line all the time. Um, but, but that word from means a little bit different when you rearrange it. It means something different when we're not talking about where a gift is maybe coming from. If we take it and we put to first, or from first, and then to later. Think about it this way. I'm going from one place to another. The word from can be a pretty powerful word. The word from tells us about a source or an origin. It tells, but it, but it talks to us as well in that, in that uh, context about movement. It talks to us about going from somewhere to a new place, from point A to point B. And movement really is the story of the Christian life. When we think about the Old Testament um, um, characters, the, the heroes of our faith that we read about in those early chapters of the scriptures, we think about Abraham being called from his home to a new place. We think about the children of Israel leaving exile in Egypt and being called from Egypt into a new land. And then in that land, when they're, they're later, many hundreds of years later, they're put into exile, but then they, they go from exile to home and return to the promised land. That word from is a loaded term. It tells us about about a destination, but not just that destination of itself, that destination in contrast to the starting point. And in this series, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, about movement that takes place. We're going to talk about what it means to go from, from one place to another, to, to start somewhere that isn't the right place, that isn't home, and to move into a place that is the right place. And, and, and that word from is, is meaningful to us in that way. And so we just want to use from as, as shorthand to sort of paraphrase, what does it mean for us, those of us who's, who've come in contact with Jesus, those of us who've, who've met him, those of us who've encountered what it means to be, to be one of Christ's own, what does it mean for us to go from not knowing him to a relationship with him? What impact does it have? How does it affect us in, in, in very real ways? For the children of Israel, the, 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 their whole story is a story of destination, going from exiles, going from the smallest to a, a nation of, of, God's, of God's love, of those that, that God had called to himself, and then landing in a home, having a place where there's peace they had the, the, the Hebrew word shalom there, that there's rest, that, that everything is right. 
And we believe that that those that same thing is in in play for us today. That God has a home for us, and it's a home where peace and rest are are found. And 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 while that has an, an ultimate eventual outcome, it's also true that in the meantime, we we have the promises of God that are true in our lives at present as well. That 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 while there is a, there is an an ultimate fulfillment of those things that ultimately we will go from this life into the next and be with God. It actually tells us something else that, that, that that there's more to it, that in the present as well, we can realize this. And it's probably best summed up in one verse in the new Testament. And we hear it a lot, but it's, it's, it's um, Romans chapter 12 and verse two. I'll read verses 1 and 2, but Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's that second verse there. It's that it's that that those phrases don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, in this instance, when we see we see the word from, we could say it this way that that the Christian life, according to what Paul's writing here, the Christian life is the movement from world conformity to a mind or a life that's aligned with God's perfect acceptable will. And that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be to be moved from a, a life that conforms to the world around it to a life that's aligned with God? And you see, a world that's aligned to the world around it means we just we just sort of do what comes naturally. Well, whatever our first impulse is, we just sort of go with it. We we don't really think about about the direction of of our life and our choices. We don't question what it means to to be on a certain journey or a path. We just go with it wherever the current takes us. We're shaped by the prevailing ideas of the day or wherever the winds blow. Paul writes again in, in Ephesians, he says, he talks about this mindset where he says, their thinking is darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. You see, he's talking about an internal hardness of the heart, a way of life that makes it so that we can't even see the way that God would lead us. We don't even have eyes to see it. In contrast, back in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by a renewing of our minds. And, and we in the West, we tend to think of mind as just an intellectual way of being, but, but the word is much richer than that in the, in the context of Romans 12. We're saying be, be transformed in your way of life. Think about, think about mind as more than just brain. Think of it as, as gut, as chest, as, as our hearts, our emotions. It, it involves so much more. It does include our beliefs, for sure. One of the aspects of that is what we believe to be true, how we interpret reality. But it also includes what we value. What are the things that, that are important to us, the things that we say matter the most, the things that, that, that get our time and attention? And certainly it impacts our behaviors or what we do with the time that we have in front of us. 
All of those things are, are part of the renewal, the transforming of our minds. And when we talk about this, the Bible has a way of, of referring to this. It has, it has a, a whole way of, way of capturing this idea. And, that, and, and it introduces us to it in the very first pages of the Bible. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1. We want to look at a couple verses here. And, and they may be verses really familiar to us, or they may be verses that we see for the first time in this way, but, but it's the very first couple verses of the Bible. We, many of us probably know Genesis 1.1 that, that, that says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Simply put, everything that exists exists because God created it. He made it. He saw fit that it would be, that it would exist. But it doesn't end there because Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 then sets up the, the conditions of the world before the rest of Genesis 1, before the rest of God's work. So take a, keep, keep reading with me. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, it sets up three things here. It says, number one, that the earth had no form. That's a strange thing. In fact, the idea that they were fo- it was form and void are actually competing ideas. But what you see here is that the earth was, it had no form. It's, it's shorthand. It's a way of quickly saying that, that everything that existed at that point was chaos. It was chaotic. It, 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 its function hadn't been realized. We're going to say more about that in this series, but, but we're also going to look at some other ideas in this today. The second thing here that it says is that it was a void. That's another word for just empty. Like, like it was there, but it was empty. And that, given chaos and emptiness, those are two competing ideas, and, and, and they actually have difficulty coexisting. And so, what we, but what we see in, in the, the message here, what we see in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, is that, that the world before God did the rest of his work, Right at the outset, the world that God encountered was a world that was chaotic and it was empty. It was, it was, it was probably more a statement of, of purpose than it was a statement of, of, um, of, of, of actual physical emptiness. That the world that existed was a world that was pointless. It was, it was without meaning. It was void. And then we're going to focus this morning on the third condition, because look at what it says there. It says it was, it was without form and void. And then it says this, and darkness was over the face of the deep or over the waters. You see, the world was dark. The world was dark. Darkness in the ancient world was a symbol. It had meaning that went beyond just whether or not the lights were on, whether or not the sun was up. There was a candle burning. It was, it was a symbol of things that are hidden or obscured. That, that there were things that, that, were, that were in the dark. Um, it, was, it was a symbol of evil. It was, it was a symbol that, 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 that things that existed in darkness were things that, that were not in the, in the light. They, that what was in the light was, was revealed to be, to be righteous or pure, but what was in the dark was, was hidden. It, it, it also goes hand in hand with the idea of blindness. That, that when you're in the dark, you, it's just simple. You can't see. And so, so the idea of the world being, being dark was a world that was evil. It was a world where people were blind. It was a world where, where no one could see right. And that takes on significant spiritual um, meaning for us. Because that, that idea of, of darkness became, became a, a symbol or a, a shorthand for what the rest of the scriptures would use to refer to sin and ultimately sin's destruction. 
that those that are in the dark are those that, that don't have the light that is God in their life. And so they ultimately are bound by their sin. We saw what it said there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says that even if our gospel is veiled, even if it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So even if, even if it's, there's a veil covering it and we can't see it and there's some element of blindness to the gospel there, it's, it's, it's only blinded to those who are perishing, to those who are in the dark. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in their case, in the case of those perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Just like Romans chapter 12, the conformity of this world, he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and catch this, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, light and darkness became a shorthand for those who see the truth of God versus those who don't. Those who don't are in the darkness. They can't see the light of the gospel. They're, they're, it, it's hidden from them. It's hidden from them because, because of, of their unbelief. And so we find here that this imagery of, of darkness and the light is an image that we're introduced to in Genesis right off the bat. It's one of the first things that we find to be true about the world, a world before God has gone to work is a world that's dark. And that darkness, that idea of darkness, is an idea that's carried through, through throughout all of the New Testament, all of the scriptures, all of the Old Testament and New Testament, to a point where Paul summarizes it and he says, look, that, that there are those who can't see. It's like their eyes are blinded. They're in the dark. They can't see the light of the gospel. This is a, an important and powerful idea. It's reiterated. In John's gospel, Jesus himself said the light, and this is in John chapter 12, he said that the light is among you for a little while. He's talking about himself. The light is among you for a little while. Now walk while you have the light. He says, the darkness, lest the darkness will overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. See, what Jesus is saying here is that there is a very real difference between light and darkness. There's a very real difference between walking in the, in the light and walking in darkness. And, and the light isn't presented forever. It's not given forever. A time is coming where, where we, we're, the choice between light and dark is no more. And so he's, he's urging his followers to, to choose the light. Also, the same writer, John, but in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 2, he says, that, he says this about the light and dark. Look at this. He says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You see, remember we said in Romans chapter 12 that there's beliefs and attitudes and behaviors that are all part of this, this light-dark dynamic. That it's not just as simple as like, I acknowledge the, the truth, therefore I'm in the light. What Jesus or what John is saying here in, in his letter is that, that he who says he's in the light, you can say it, you can acknowledge what the light is, you can say that you're in it, but if you hate your brother, you're still in the darkness. Darkness isn't just a, a recognition of the, the existence of light, but it's actually living in it, walking in it. In First John chapter 2, this is verse, verse 10, he says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Get this? When you're in the light, you can see what's in front of you. You don't stumble. 
But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you get this, there's this relationship between the light and living in the light and seeing the light, seeing clearly what's in front of me and not stumbling, but versus living in the darkness and being bound by, by living, living in this way of life where, where I can't see what's in front of me. And, and John here ties that together, not just with, again, with, with the mind and what we think, but he actually puts it together with, with um, our, our actions and what we do and that, that the way that we live is an example of whether or not we, we are really in the light or whether or not we're living in the darkness. And so we want to say this morning, we want to wrap up, if, if the story of the Christian life is a story of movement, if, if the Christian life is, is a journey from something to something else, I think we could put a lot of, we could, we could fill in those blanks with a lot of things, the movement from blank to blank. In the series, we're going to talk through five of these things. But this morning with the time that we have left, we want to talk specifically about the movement from darkness to light. What does it mean to walk in the light, to move from darkness, but into the light? Because you see, even in Genesis chapter one, we see those first conditions of chaos and emptiness and darkness. But then the very next thing, the very first thing that God does in Genesis chapter one, verse three is this. Genesis chapter one, verse three says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, the first thing that God does when he goes to work is that he brings light into dark places. Did you catch that? The first thing God does when he goes to work, when he begins to move in a life or in his world, is that he brings light into darkness. He addresses the darkness that exists. He did it in Genesis. He did it at the beginning of the world. He did it at the outset of all things. But he continues to do it today. He continues to do it in our lives. God brings light from darkness. But not only that, not only is that the way that, that, that God acted at, and moved at the beginning, it's also the way that, that, he will, that things will be in, in the end. You see, all of the Bible tells this, this whole story. It's a story of sort of a, a garden to garden or from creation to recreation and new kingdom. And, and, and there at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we see God addressing the problem of darkness with, with bringing about light in this world. But if we go all the way to the end of the scriptures, if we go to Revelation chapter 21, and we read about the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth that God is, is, is prepared, we, we find this. Look at what it says about the, about the new city that God makes for his people in Revelation chapter 21. This is verse, verses 23 through 25. It says, this city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Do you catch that, that imagery? That, that at the end of all things, when all the, the battles are won, when all the, everything is decided, when the work of God is consummated, it's complete, it's finished, there's nothing left to, to do. When we get to that point, the description of the new heavens and new earth says this, if God is there, there's no need for any other source of light. There's no other source of light because he's the light. 
There is no night. There is no darkness. He's the light. That's a powerful truth. Because where God is, there is no darkness. When he goes to work, he does not operate in darkness. He operates in light. This is a significant truth. This is a powerful reality. And so from here, we want to ask this question. What does it mean to participate in this life light? This light of God. What does it mean to be really fully alive in the light of Christ? The light that God brings. And so we want to bring this into just three simple truths. Just three simple truths. And the first one is this. It's that God is the only true remedy for the darkness. It's very easy for us to look for and very tempting for us to look for other sources of light, particularly at a point in time when, when we're living at the, at, in, in the midst of a health crisis and there's, there's all kinds of economic implications of that. Um, and, and again, in our house, for the last week or so, we've really wrestled with, with nothing to do, being you know, caught, caught up together. And then even the fear of what it means to, to actually like have this sickness and and, and, and the fear that, that, that our health, uh, that it puts before us and our health. And I realize it's tempting for a lot of us to look for light in other sources. But look at what the scriptures tell us about this. God is the only remedy for, for our, our, uh, our darkness. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, it says this. This is, this is David. Um, he says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. You see, the, the, the path of trust is a trust that says that God is the light. David writes again in Psalm 18, he says, for, you, for it is you who light my lamp, you light my darkness. It's, it's almost the same thing. David said it repeatedly that, that it is, it's God who provides our light. This is a reality that we have to, to come to. If we're going to begin to walk with Christ and, and leave the darkness and move into the light, if that's what we're going to do, we have to get to a point. We have to come to a place where, where we believe that there is no other source of light. God is the only source. We have to say no to, to competing sources of light. Whether or not we believe that it's, it's, it's a relationship in our life that we have or don't have, and that without that, our life goes dark. We have to reject that idea. If it's the idea that I need some sort of economic status or I need a, the good life, God, if, if you just give me enough stuff or enough security that, that then I'll live in the light, that's, that's a, a light life. We have to reject that idea. We have to reject the idea that we're just moving from one sensual pleasure to the next or one entertaining pleasure to the next. We have to get rid of those as the source of light in our life if we're going to make headway when it comes to this issue of living the Christian life that actually moves from darkness and into the light, we must first and foremost believe that God is the only real source of light. And then secondly, we have to trust him in that. We have to trust him in that. Again, David did such a great job of articulating this. In, in Psalm 107, he says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress great. This is something we do a lot, right? Like we, we cry out to God when we're in trouble. And in verse 14, look at what it says. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. 
Notice the, 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 the idea of freedom that comes in God being tied to this idea of, of leaving the darkness. That it's God. Now, and notice where they cry, where David says they, he, that, that the people cried out to. They cried out to the Lord. It's so easy to cry out to, to, a, to politicians to solve our problems. It's so easy to cry out to others to try and solve things for us. It's so easy to be tempted to, to, to try and rearrange our circumstances so that our life is, is, leaves the distress. But what, what the, no matter how tempting those things are, the reality is that, if, that in our heart, in our trust, we need to cry out to God in these times. We need to cry out to him to say, it's you that save us. It's the model that's set forward there that David writes about in, in Psalm 107. And it's it, to really believe that he's the light means that we actually practice the ancient practices, that we don't go, well, that was a good thing for way back when at a point in time where God was active, but today we have to get our own act together. That's not the reality of the situation. The situation is that the same God who delivered then delivers today. That he, the same God who, who removed the darkness from his people then removes darkness from us today. And that's what it means to believe and to trust. In the New Testament message, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who, who is the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, he, he sings this song. He, he gives this prayer. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, Zechariah is saying that God is providing a way out of the darkness. This is Luke chapter 1. It's at the very beginning of the gospel story, the gospel message. That God is providing a way out of the darkness. And it's the beginning of, of, the, of the story of Jesus. And in, in a different section of the New Testament, in Acts chapter 26, Paul the Apostle, is, he's recounting the, the, his conversion, his movement from, a big movement from a persecutor to a believer. He had been persecuting the children of God, and now he's on trial because his life was so radically with Jesus that he stirred up trouble everywhere he went. And in Acts chapter 26, he recounts what he heard from God. And listen to what it says in, in, in Acts chapter 26, verse 16. He says this, but this is what he heard from the Lord, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I, being Jesus who appeared to him, have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Listen to this. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Look at what, what Jesus said to Paul when, when, when Paul met him on the road. This miraculous vision accompanied by a bright light and the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to Paul. And he says, that, 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 Paul, your life is going to be centered around this mission. To open the eyes of others so they can see the light. To help move them from blindness to sight, from darkness into the light, so they can receive forgiveness and have a new place. Do you see how moving from darkness to light became shorthand? It was shorthand for the work of God in the gospel. That, that those who live in the dark live without God. And those in the light are those who've met God. They've, they've acknowledged Christ and they walk with him. 
Paul writes it again in Colossians, or he writes this time in Colossians verse chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I give thanks to the Father who has qualified you, the church in Colossae, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the movement of, of Christianity is the move of God delivering on his promise to move his people from darkness to light. From darkness to light. We've been moved from the domain of darkness and transferred into a new kingdom, a kingdom that isn't dark. Paul writes again in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, you're children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You see, once we begin to walk with Christ, once we begin to to, to walk with God in, in the way of Christ Jesus, that light becomes even just like our identifier. Prior to, are, we're identified by the darkness. We're identified by, by walking in the dark. But we have a new identification. We are children of the day. We walk in the light. So to walk with Christ in this life of light is first to accept that, that, that God is the only real source of light. The only real source of light. And second is to believe him that he's going to deliver us, that he, he's going to make good on this offer of living in the light. And third, it's, it's, it's this, that it's by Jesus that the light is delivered. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just acknowledgement of God or a higher power, but it's very specifically in the person of Jesus. Jesus himself said this, these things in the gospel of John in chapter eight, Jesus said, Jesus again spoke to them and he said, this is John 8 verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you catch that? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, having light isn't as simple as saying, oh yeah, there's a God out there. That's not the light. The light is acknowledging Christ and his way and walking in it. Jesus said again, John wrote in, in verse 12, this is John 12, 44 to 46. He says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Get this, verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The mission, the purpose of Jesus was the same in his life as we saw in Genesis chapter 1 when God moved into the world. You see, the world without God is dark, it's empty, it's chaotic. But the first thing addressed by God is to bring light into that darkness. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am that light. I'm the light. And so if we're trusting that, that God is the only source of the light, and we're trusting that he's going to deliver, to move us out of darkness and into light, the way that we make that move is by trusting in the one he sent. It's trusting in his son, Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, there's what we're, this, this whole framework, there are alternatives. There are alternatives to the light. We can, we can pursue other ideas. 
And Paul says, don't be deceived by empty offers. Don't be deceived. Chapter 5, verse 7, he says this, Therefore, don't become partners with them, those who offer these empty ideas. Verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at what he says. Don't, don't attach yourself. Don't attach yourself to false ideas. Don't attach yourself to empty offers of light. They, they, might, they might burn for a moment, but they don't have an eternal quality to them. They don't last. So Paul says, don't tie yourself to false offers, but rather walk in the light. Walk in the light as children of light. It's about, it's about believing and valuing and behaving in a way that's in line with those who, who acknowledge Christ as Lord. See, it's Jesus that saves us from the darkness. Without Christ, we're, we're doomed to live in the dark. We're destined to, to, be, to be blind, to not see the truth. As we begin 2021, we want to invite everyone to affirm. Maybe it's affirm for the first time. Or maybe for many of us, it's just to reaffirm. Perhaps that the 2020 has, has offered us so many alternatives that, that it, we, we've, we've sort of gone to sleep on what it means to walk in the light. Or maybe we've even begun to question whether or not there is light, that we've become so so hopeless or so depressed by the situation that, that we even question whether or not this light is real. But make no mistake, the very first thing that we find in the scriptures that God does is that he addresses darkness. He addresses the darkness of this world. He brings light into it. And the rest of the story of the scriptures, they're all going to fall under that picture, under that umbrella of God bringing light to darkness. He's moving us from a kingdom of darkness to his kingdom where the light shines, where we see clearly and plainly. This is what it means to walk with Christ. And so we want to ask you, to join up with us as we try to walk in that way. And we'll close with this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus announces the beginning of his work, his ministry. And he says this, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you catch that? That freedom goes hand in hand with sight. That living in the light means that we are free to live in the Lord's favor, no longer oppressed, but walking in, in liberty, walking in freedom. Would you trust Jesus to give you that sight? Would you ask Christ to shine light on the darkness of our lives, to show us the truth and empower us to walk in that light? 
Pray with me. Our Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have seen fit to give us light. And God, we, we know, many of us know just how desperate the darkness is. How lost we can feel. How blind we are to the truth and to reality. And we ask today that you would you would shine that light in ways that we, we can't miss it. That you would help us to believe you when you say that you are the source of the light. We thank you, Christ, for, for coming and being the light so that we can, we can follow behind you and with you and trust you to bring light into our lives and to move us from, from the hopeless darkness into the life of hope and the light. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.